good to be here. It's refreshing to be here, honestly. I'm glad that we're able to gather this morning. And uh, I think it was alluded to the fact that this is Advent, right? Advent uh, has to do with the, the coming. And not only that Christ came to be born, that Christ came to uh, uh, come and incarnate himself by, by God's grace, he came to be born to be our savior, our savior from sins. But not only is the Advent about the hope that we have that Christ came to be born and deliver us from our sins, but Advent is also about the, the promise and the, the preparation that we, we have to engage ourselves in as we live in this world until he comes back again. Uh, talking about this, thank you, brother. The second, the second coming of Christ. So, so Advent is not just about the birth of Christ, but the Advent is about the coming of Christ again, the second coming. So we're, we're here and we're waiting. We're preparing ourselves because he's coming back, right? Just like he said he came the first time, uh, he said he's going to come again and he's going to come a second time. And so this is where we have to sometimes fight. We have to struggle because as we live in this world, sometimes we get attached to things and Christmas uh, becomes more about created things more than about the rescue. And fortunately, many people sometimes become in bondage to the created things, thinking that those things are going to bring them a lot of satisfaction. But uh, they really don't. They really don't. That is why we must trust that Christ came to redeem us, that Christ came to rescue us and give us the only hope that is possible as we live in this world for ultimate satisfaction, to be satisfied in him through our redemption, through our salvation. But it's good to be here this morning. By God's grace, we will uh, open Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Last time we were here, we looked at Psalm 139, and I mentioned that this is one of the most beautiful psalms written and one of the most profound and overwhelmingly deep and life-changing psalms. Many times this psalm is read and it's uh, pointed out that, uh, and I know we're, we, we, we believe in pro-life and, and, and rescuing those that are, are, are uh, aborted or, or children that are, are killed in the womb. And, and it has some allusion to that, but this psalm is uh, one of those most intimate psalms. Uh, one of the commentators that I read believes that this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving. So we just move from the thanksgiving season and now we're moving into the Christmas season, right? And it's always that, that time of the year at Thanksgiving, then the, the fight begins. That we have to fight to keep Christ in Christmas. And it seems like every year we're, we're fighting and fighting to keep Christ in Christmas. So this psalm is about a psalm of thanksgiving giving written at, at the, after David was possibly accused of, of idolatry and yet he's acquitted, and he's, he's uh, being indicted for, for idolatry. But he's, indi uh, he's, he's acquitted. Psalm 139, if we're all there, let's, uh, let's read. Okay. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts. From afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave or in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for the darkness as is light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Praise the Lord, right? How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Oh, bloodthirsty men, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Because David was being accused, he calls upon God to search him and to, to, to know him. To know him and search him, to evaluate his ideas and thoughts, to, to come to the God who knows all things, to come to the one who is omniscient, knows everything about him. And this God that he knows, David realizes that the Lord evaluates every aspect of our lives, he knows him inside and out. He calls him Lord. He uses that covenant name. The one that emphasizes that God knows his people. God knows who are his. The wicked he knows from afar. But those that are his, he knows them intimately. You've searched me, God. You know me. His knowledge is complete. His knowledge is immediate knowledge. It's not something he has to grow in or something that he may not know in the future. But this knowledge is a searching and immediate and complete knowledge. It is divine knowledge. It doesn't, God doesn't have to search because he already knows. And so he asked him to know him and to search him. Because he understands that this knowledge is penetrating this knowledge goes deep into his being, deep into his soul. This knowledge is relational knowledge. It's just that, 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 that God knows everything. He says, you know me, God. You know me. He knows his intentions. He knows his motives. 
He knows his reasons. So this knowledge sifts, and he's asking God to search him and to seek him and to know him. And at the end, he says, this knowledge is too great. This knowledge is too wonderful. This knowledge is incomprehensible. This knowledge is high. Because it is, he feels overwhelmed, and he wants to to escape. Where should I go from your spirit, he says. Where should I run? Because this is so hard to understand, so, so lofty and so great. I can't even control this knowledge. It's just too wonderful, extraordinary, hard to understand, especially in the dealings with his people. And it can become uncomfortable. It can become uncomfortable to know that You're always being watched. You're in constant 24-hour surveillance by by our God. He he knows. He is sifting and watching. He he knows what we're doing. He knows when we're rising up. He knows when we lay down. He knows our habits. He knows our daily affairs. So where can he go? That's the question. Where, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and want to fly to the east and to the west, I dwell in the uttermost place of the sea. Even your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The psalmist knows that that this God that knows all things, that is omniscient, is everywhere. Everywhere we go, no matter how far and no matter how dangerous, there is no place, no place in this planet or in the galaxies that you can flee. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? See, because of this knowledge that God has of of David the psalmist, because of this restricting knowledge, penetrating deep into his being and sifting him out, his his first impulse is to to make a mad dash, to to escape, to, to go somewhere, to flee, to get away from the hand of God. And so with this desire to flee, with this desire to make a mad dash, comes the question, where should I go? See, the first meditation is about his knowledge and all that he knows and his omniscience, that he knows everything. This this second meditation is about the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere at once. Here, he's in, a, he's in different parts of the world. He is, he is present. He is, he is everywhere at once. Not only does he know everything about you and I, he is everywhere we go. And everywhere you think of going, he already knows. So he asked the question, 
And, and the question is what we call a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question has a built-in answer. And he uses two questions, actually. He uses two rhetorical questions to, to confirm a point about God. And the point he wants to confirm is there is no place anyone could go to flee from his presence. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? There was some kids playing a, a computer game. And they're playing this game, and, and in this game, this game tests their knowledge. And this game that tests their knowledge, it tests the knowledge of locations and, 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 and natural and man-made wonders of the world. So, so this game is testing your knowledge of these, of these wonders of the world. So it has a, a lot of trivia. So they're playing this game, and, and it was a good game, and they liked the game, but it didn't get a lot of answers right. <laughs> They didn't get a lot of answers right. Thank God that we don't have to play a game to learn where God is. Because God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. Hold your, hold your hand in 139 and go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Listen to the wisest man in the world. Look at to King Saul, uh, one of the kings. One, 1 Kings chapter 8. One of the wisest kings, one of the wisest men was Solomon. And in chapter 8 of 1 Kings, look at verse 27. And Solomon is going to dedicate the house of God, the, the temple of God. And, and in the house of God, the temple of God is where God is going to dwell. This is where God is going to be present. God is going to be there. So in chapter 8, verse 27... Look what the question he asks. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? In other words, will this holy God who is different from all things and everyone and every place, will this God dwell on the earth? I, I would want to know. I would want to know where is God going to be? Don't, don't you want to know? But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold! Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Now, when people talk about church, what do they say? We are going to the house of, house of God, right? They have this connection. When you go to a church, God is there, right? There are people that do not want to walk into church buildings because they feel God is there. And so when we speak of temples, we speak of churches, sometimes they use the phrase, the house of the Lord. But Solomon says, Solomon says the truth. There is no house, there is no temple that can hold God, right? He says, behold, 
heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. The highest heaven, the highest heaven cannot contain this God, our God. You know why? Because he's everywhere. He's everywhere. He is omnipresent. He is present. He is everywhere at once. Oops. Sorry about that, guys. That's what happens when you're always in a hurry. Okay. He is everywhere at once. So not only does he know everything about you, he knows everywhere we go. And even think of going. Go back to Psalm 139. He says, where shall I go? Right? That's the first verb. The first action. Where should I go? And the second verb is, where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, where is it possible to get away from God's controlling knowledge and His presence everywhere? And I hope you see the obvious answer is that there is no place that you can run to, no place that we could hide, no, no, the lowest valley and the highest mountain and the greatest galaxies. In other words, what he's saying is, Lord, where, where should I go from your face? The word spirit has to do with the face of God. Wherever I go, God, you are going to see me and I'm going to be in your face. But this has happened to people. One individual should ring up Bell to it. Bing, 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 bing. And that's Jonah. Remember Jonah? God calls him. And you know what Jonah wants to do? He, he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So what does he do? He, he runs. He, he flees. He, he tries to go. Go to Jonah. Go to Jonah chapter 1. Minor, minor prophet way there in the back. Jonah chapter 1. God tells Jonah, verse 2 says, chapter 1, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So God is saying, I want you to go to these evil people. And Jonah is saying, no, I don't want to go where there are evil people. They're going to be mean, I don't like them, and I don't want to go. And who's speaking? Who's, who's telling him to go? God. Look at verse 3. But Jonah 
got up or rose to, what, what did he do? He says he rose to, to run, he rose to flee. He rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So, so Jonah thinks, Jonah thinks he can make a mad dash and exit stage right and, and run from God. That's what he's doing. He says, I, I got up, I rose to flee, I don't want to go to Tarshish, and I'm going to be away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into, into it to go with them to Tarshish, away, away from who? Away from the presence of the Lord. God calls Jonah. Jonah wants to flee. Jonah wants to run. He wants to flee from the presence of God. He wants to flee from the face of God. He wants to switch, switch locations. He, he wants to go to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. I, I want you to see that. It's not that he's just running. He thinks, well, if I leave, if I leave this place, I could get away from God. If, if I just relocate, if I just move to another city, if I just go to another school, if I just walk to another room, hey, maybe if I just go to another church. He's trying to escape the face of God, the presence of God. Look, look what happens in verse 4. But the Lord, the Lord, right? Who's it coming from? Remember, this is the Lord. This is, this is Him. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty storm, a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. So where does this storm come from? It, did it just happen uh, all of a sudden, coincidentally? Uh, how did this storm even develop? The scriptures tell us the Lord threw the storm at him. Numbers 5 says, And the mariners were afraid, and the, basically the sailors in the ship, the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. So, so these sailors who are pagan idolaters, they're, they're calling out to their God. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, help us, help us, help us. Oh God, help. oh please help us. And where's Jonah? The mariners were afraid, so they cried out to their God, and they, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it from them. They said, we've got to do something. We can't just sit here, and this storm is going to wreck this ship, so we need to just start tossing things overboard. But Jonah, okay, that's the guy we want to focus on, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He, he's trying to, he, he wants to live in denial. Like, I, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to act like this thing is not really existing. So I'm going to just go and lay down and fall asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Get up, rise up. Call out to your God. It's in his face. 
I, I don't care how far you run. I, I don't care how dangerous the place may be. You cannot escape God's face and presence. It's everywhere. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. See, in other words, you can run, but you can't hide. You, you can run and run, but you, you cannot hide. And the pressure is on. Providentially, God is placing a storm in this, this boat and in this particular time in their lives. And he's using that to, to speak. Like today. Guess who's here? Guess who wants to speak to you? The everywhere present God who knows who you are. He knows your thoughts before you even think them. Even before you say a word, he knows what you're going to say. He knows what you're thinking right now. And so does Jonah. Because look what happens in verse 10. Well, verse 9, he says, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew, listen, the men knew, what did they know? That he was fleeing, fleeing the presence of the Lord because he told them. He confessed. He says, look, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hide. I'm trying to run. I'm trying to flee. is present everywhere. David says, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. Go back to Psalm 139. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I, if I go to the lowest parts of the, of the earth, you are there. And, and, and he's using a, what they call conditional clause. But in that conditional clause, he, he gives affirmation. If, if I ascend, and the affirmation is, you are there. If I descend, you are there. If I go to one place, anywhere, everywhere I could go, or even think of going, you're going to be there. Even if I go to the darkest place, to the grave, if I go to the unseen world of, of the dead, that place of darkness, you are going to be there. You, you talk about pursuing. 
See, the, the first thing about God is he, he, he's perceiving. He's, he's penetrating, perceiving perception into the being of David. Now he's pursuing him. You're, you're, not, you're not here by accident this morning. You know right now if God has been pursuing you. And maybe, maybe you've been trying to get away from it. Maybe you've been trying to keep busy or get caught up and distracted with other things. But, but let me tell you, God is, God is here, present in this moment right now. We, we need to be very aware, conscious of God's presence. Here's a little side note opinion of mine. I think that's an issue with many of our brothers and sisters. A conscious awareness of the presence of God. When they would walk up the hill to that temple and they would literally enter the courts, they understood that they were going to be physically in the presence of Almighty and a holy God. And I believe with all my heart that it not only affected them spiritually, but even emotionally and physically. How, how would you handle the fact that you walk through those doors, and as you walk through those doors, the very glory of God would be in this room? Physically. We, we, we know in scripture some people fell to the ground. So, some, Isaiah says, I, I, I literally, I almost, I came undone. My, my body almost broke to pieces because of the presence of God. And, and they would go to the temple, and that, that place was so revered, and so they were so conscious that even when they would go to offer sacrifice, it was a very sacred and holy moment. And, and, and you talk about anxieties, because people could literally die. But see, the trouble is that we, we don't enter a physical temple. But let's not lose the sight, brothers and sisters, that we are now the temple. And as we gather, Jesus said, I am going to be among them. Even, even in, the, in, the, in, the, in the church of Revelation, he comes and he bears witness. He says, I am walking among them. God is present now in our midst. And David says, even if I have wings and I could fly, even if I had wings and I would fly from one 
part of the world to the other part of the world. And, and even if I could fly at the speed of light, even if I could do that, I cannot escape your presence. Even on the furthest side of the sea, even, even the furthest side of the sea, and, and to them at that time, the, the sea represented chaos and, and darkness. A place of darkness and, and death. Even if I, in heaven or, or, or even from hell, from the east of the, of the morning to the west at sundown, there, there's no place to escape. No matter how fast, no matter how far you may want to go. God is there. And what is interesting now is that the whole tone, the whole mood of the psalm changes in verse 10. Even your hand shall lead me there. Even your right hand shall hold me. Even if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the night is bright as the day for the darkness is as light to you. And because he's so impacted, he's so impacted in his being and in his person of the places he thought he could run and escape to. These places you're going to track me down and you're going to, you're going to pursue me. But you see, when he, when he speaks of his, his hand shall lead me, he's talking about the connection with the hand in the forearm. Which, which signified power. Power. And because of this power, we, we, we see that he says, you will hold me and you will lead me. Even if we're fugitives like, like Jonah, even if we're running from him, the hand of God, we are his servants. And he will sustain them even in a place of danger. Did, did you see that in Jonah? And ultimately, when he went into the belly of the fish for three days, he says, oh, surely, surely salvation is of the Lord. Nothing, nothing hinders the protective presence of the Lord. Nothing. No darkness can hide it. No darkness can hide us from the presence of God. He knows and he sees and understands no matter how dark things may become and overwhelming and oppressive things may be. Nothing, nothing, even in the darkness can harm us or harm him because neither darkness nor distance can separate us from God's presence. Powerful, penetrating presence and knowledge. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're reminded every time Advent comes. It's a reminder that God came 
took on human flesh. Present, Emmanuel, God with us. Humbled himself. Became obedient unto death. So not only did he come down, which was one part, not only did he do another part, he became a, a human, a, a man, a servant, and not only that, that, that he humbled himself again, even to death. Nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. So what should this do for us? It, it should cause us to worship. Oh, it should cause us to worship because God is with us. That's what this symbolizes. It's just not a pretty wreath with nice uh, uh, you know, uh, decorations, but it represents that God is with us. He's the one that holds the churches. He's the one that says he's going to walk among them. His lampstands, his church. And when he says he's going to walk among them, it's because he is saying, I am here, I am present. But in our worship, we need to have a conscious, conscious awareness. Somehow it, it, just, it just disappears. I, I don't know what happens. I, I, I have to fight myself. But when the times come and we're singing and, 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 I, and I purposely, in my meditation, to, to understand, God, you are here. You are here. And I come humbly before you and I receive your great love for a sinner. Please accept and receive my offering of praise and worship to you. Not only that, it should bring comfort. Our God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help when? In time of need. He is present. It should bring great comfort. And not only that, this should catapult our mission. It should move us to to, to move in the great, the great, great commission. Remember Jesus said, go, go where? To all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And then what does he say? And lo, I am what? With you, always to the end of the in our mission. God knows. And I thank God he knows. Because my brain, compared to his knowledge, is, is like a little walnut. <laughs> and I'm glad he's everywhere at once. Because there are times where I need to go places and I can go sit at the park and I can cry out to God and know that he's there. And you know what? He's here right now. And he knows you. 
And he has a plan and purpose for your life. But we need to know that you can't run. We stand before the face of God. Father, we, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this psalm. It has been very, very helpful. Lord, especially during these, these, these difficult, difficult, challenging times we live in. Father, it, sometimes it, it hurts to see how some of our, our brothers and sisters, Lord, are, are, very, are becoming very complacent and, and apathetic. It's actually a little frightening, God. Because we, we need to know that anywhere we go and anywhere we try to run, Lord, you are going to be there. You are present. Even in the most difficult situations and even in the most dangerous places, Lord, you'll be there. Like the three young men, Lord, that were in that fiery furnace. The flames were rising up and it was hot. But you were there in the furnace. And you delivered them. And you are here today, Lord. You promised to be with us. So bless my family here, Lord, at, at the bridge. Oh, God, let them know that you are present and that you will lead and that you will guide and that you will hold them, Lord, during these days. This is, this is no accident, Father. It's no coincidence. This, this message has come, Father, providentially for us today. Bless them, Lord. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name we all say. Amen. Amen.